Hello, everyone. Before the episode starts, I have a couple announcements I would like to make. I'm going to be reading off my laptop, so it makes me get straight to the point. Uh, so with that being said, as all of you may know, most of our episodes are pre-recorded, so it's easier for me to just hop on here now rather than wait a couple weeks until we're not with the pre-recorded episodes to give this announcement. So with that being said, first, we are now on Apple Podcasts, which we are very excited about. Um, and we hope you listen on there if it's more convenient for you. The best way to help us out on Apple Podcasts would be to subscribe to our show and leave a five-star review, if you would like, so that we can reach a broader audience. Next is YouTube. We love the engagement with views and likes, but don't be scared to leave a comment to let us know how we're doing. Like I said previously, up until about episode five is pre-recorded, and I believe that we have made pretty good improvements as these episodes go along, but if you have any suggestions that we can fix, of course, we will look at them. Third is that YouTube shows that about 75% of our viewers were not subscribed on our first episode. Uh, so if you enjoyed the show, please make sure to hit the subscribe button again to support us, as well as the like and the share button. Share it with your friends, families, aliens, whatever you may feel like sharing it with. And lastly, we now have new intro music, so I hope that you viewers enjoy it. And with that being said, we're going to get into the episode. Welcome to Uncle Mark's Attic, a brand new podcast. Everyone is cordially invited to join host Zach and me, Uncle Mark, as we explore a variety of interesting topics from the fields of paranormal activities, conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries and disappearances, and lots more. Now, an attic is a storage place where we find old trunks and boxes and bags, and the only way to find out what is inside these items is to start opening them up and looking inside. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Uncle Mark's Attic. Feel free to reach out and contact us with your questions and suggested topics. We would love to hear from you. So come on into the attic with us as we go exploring and opening up all those old trunks and boxes and bags and find out what mysteries they contain. Today's podcast is regarding the office of the Director of National Intelligence's report on unidentified aerial phenomena released on June 25th, 2021. Okay. We chose this particular topic in this document for two reasons. One, because uh, the document was released rather relatively recently on June 25th, 2021. So it is a, a current news item. But another reason that we decided to start with this particular topic is because Zach and I were reading over the uh, public survey that was done by the Pew National Center right up to the day before this document was released, so about one week before the document was released. And we found some interesting statistics in that particular poll survey report. To me, the biggest one, Zach, was when 87% of the people surveyed, right up until the day before this report was released, reported that they had heard little or nothing at all about the government releasing information about UFO sightings. So I think that's just an indication of the information overload out there, the information explosion. There's a lot of things going on at one time with the pandemic and all the climate change issues that are going on and the fires and, and, and all the uh, incredible heat waves. So it kind of concerns us that so many people were indicating that they really weren't aware at all 
were only aware to a slight degree about the fact that the government was going to issue a report, an official report, on the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena and their interactions with some of our own military aircraft. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So some of these other statistics that we're going to go over actually right now, um, the first one is 65% of Americans believe intelligent life exists on other planets. Um, we have 51% of Americans say UFOs reported by the U.S. military are likely evidence of intelligent life outside of Earth. 87% of Americans say UFOs are not a threat, which so far they have not posed to be a threat. Uh, 76% of adults under 30 years old say intelligent life exists on other planets. And lastly, 41% of Americans say the federal government is doing a bad job dealing with UFO reports. That's another reason we wanted to use this topic as our very first topic and why we wanted to get into this a little bit deeper because that statistic's pretty interesting that such a high percent, 41%, literally state that they are very disappointed with our federal government's reporting and, and the way of dealing with UFO reports. Things that I find interesting because I'm slightly older than you, Zach. I am 65. I'll get that right out in the open. So I can assure everyone watching that when I was a young boy and first becoming aware of the topic of unidentified flying objects back in the 1960s, I can assure you that 65% of Americans did not believe that intelligent life existed on other planets. Uh, it was a topic and a subject that was often the, uh, the butt of, of uh, criticism and uh, you know, jokes and things like that, that uh, people were often denigrated or criticized or you know, made fun of if they even indicated that they had an interest in the subject of UFOs, let alone, God forbid, if they had seen one or had you know, any kind of interaction with something that wasn't within the mainstream of our lives at that time in the 1960s. So I'm very intrigued by the fact that the numbers have definitely been going up and to see that 65% believe that at, at least believe intelligent life exists on other planets is a very stunning development for me. That's a big increase from back when I was a young boy. Yeah, I actually, uh, one of the more compelling statistics that I think is the 76% of adults under 30 say intelligent life exists on exactly. other planets, which just kind of backs up what, what you were just saying, that uh, a lot of people back then, you know what I mean, didn't believe that, and they would have pretty much assumed that you were crazy if if you did pull that up <laughs> and yes. say that. You were definitely ridiculed. I can say that from being alive then. And uh, It wasn't a subject, actually, that was brought up often uh, by my classmates. Um, it was, you know, it just wasn't something that was yeah. a respectable subject. It wasn't really believed, so thank you. Yeah. Um, so this is the preliminary report um, of the these sightings, um, which actually starts here. We're going to go to this one first. This is the okay. first one, um, which actually starts starting in 2004 and goes to, um, 2021, which mm -hmm. is 17 years. Um, this is only a nine page document. So, um, I can only imagine how many pages the document would be if it was every like confirmed UFO sighting from, right. um, like ever. From like the 1940s on, yeah, certainly yeah, yeah. when we first comes into uh, in the mainstream in America as mm -hmm. far as uh, news stories and coverage, yeah. Um, yeah, it would be the size of the Bible, I think, if you <laughs> include all of the reports. This particular report, like Zach said, it's unclassified. It's, the nine, it's only nine pages long. I don't know if you can see that. Um, it doesn't give any detail, 
any real detailed information on any of the 144 actual reported incidents that were reviewed and investigated uh, in this report that was released by the Office of the Director of National uh, Intelligence here. And there were 17 different federal agencies involved in these reviews, the analyses of the information and any documentation or evidence. And uh, those 17 agencies included such groups as, of course, the military, you have the Army and the Navy and the Air Force, Naval Intelligence, uh, the FBI, because the FBI will get involved anytime that there is any sort of um, unexplained aerial phenomena that comes into restricted airspace or over a restricted airspace of military bases. Uh, so that's why the FBI was involved. And that's, uh, that's quite a large group of federal agencies that were involved in this review and in preparing this report. The report actual title is The Preliminary Assessment of Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So that implies that there's going to be an additional report, if not more, uh, coming in the future from all of these agencies that prepared this initial report. But no real detail, just the fact that there were 144 incidences, uh, incidents that were uh, investigated and 143 of them remain unexplained at this time. Just one was they were able to actually determine some sort of rational and, and uh, expl log logical explanation for what had happened. So. Um, and we're going to go over pretty much the beginning of, of why this this action was taken um, a little bit later. Um, this information was leaked, and like I said, we're going to go over that actually pretty soon here. Um, so I'm going to start with one of the first um, encounters mm -hmm. on this uh, preliminary report, which yeah. would be the 2004 USS Nimitz UFO sighting or the Tic Tac-looking object. Um, so... In this interview, it's a 60 Minutes interview, which it will be linked down below. And for those listening on Spotify, you can just kind of search it up on YouTube. Um, it's pretty much called Navy Pilots Describe Encounters of UFOs. Um, so what they say in this interview is that they're on uh, some kind of test flight, just kind of doing whatever they do on test flights. And they come across this um, unidentified flying object. Um, and they say that it was hovering under the water, um, causing a churning effect, like disturbing just under the ocean's otherwise calm surface. Um, and then it kind of came up out of the water, and it started to mirror the movement of one of the jets. Um, and they said they saw this for about five minutes or so. And there was four people in this incident that uh, saw the same exact thing. Um, and then they said that it just kind of disappeared out of thin air. And in the interview, he says just seconds later, uh, the USS Princeton acquired the target 60 miles away. And, um, the lady in the interview said, if I saw this solo, I don't know if I would have said anything because it sounds so crazy when I say it. Um, and something to add to that is another, another article that I was reading said that it took about a minute, um, even if it was a minute, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, this is the equivalent of the aircraft moving 3,600 miles per hour, which is Mach 4.8. And um, according to the Boeing Aircraft Company, the FA-18 Super Hornet jet only reaches a maximum speed of 1,200 miles per hour, which is Mach 1.6. So that, in, it, in and of itself, just kind of shows how fast these aircrafts actually do move. And... Um, Gary Voorhees confirmed with a Navy sonar operator that the craft was moving 70 knots or 80 miles per hour. 
Um, this is two times the speed of our nuclear subs. So that is just underwater alone. And I think that is a very compelling oh, piece of evidence there. Um, and nothing was said or done about these reports for about five years until Luis Elizondo investigated it, um, which he is the he was the head of ATIP. Yes, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. That's right. That was a black budget program that was set up by the Pentagon. So it's uh, it was classified as far as the fact that this program existed and the fact that twenty two million dollars was. Uh, spent by the federal government through the Pentagon's budget for that year in uh, starting in 2007 for uh, that particular program in order to investigate unidentified aerial phenomena. That's the phrase they're using now for uh, unidentified flying objects that used to be the the popular term, but now they're calling them unidentified aerial phenomena or area UAPs. Yes, he was the, uh, he was running that program with inside the Pentagon, uh, but the, the budgeting for that actually came about as a result of the then Senate Majority Leader, Senator Harry Reid from Nevada. He was the one that really got that money and that funding available for the, for the ATIP program because he had been getting quite a bit of information, both from military and civilian sources, as he's explained, uh, regarding unidentified aerial phenomena and the reality of it and the fact that they certainly many people that had encountered it did not know what was going on. So he wanted a properly funded program being run through the Pentagon, through our Department of Defense, to be working on this particular issue. So that's where the money comes from for that ATIP, that Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program that you're talking about now. Yep. So we're going to go over uh, Senator Harry Reid a little bit more here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have a clip uh, of this 60 Minutes interview, um, a clip of Lou Alizondo talking about these uh, aircrafts. So I'm going to play that actually right now. Imagine a technology that can do six to 700 G-forces, that can fly at 13,000 miles an hour, that uh, it can evade radar, and that can fly through air and water and possibly space, and oh, by the way, has no obvious signs of propulsion, no wings, no control surfaces, and yet still can defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. That's so that, I mean, clip in itself kind of just states that we have really no idea what we're dealing with. Um, do you have anything to say to add about that clip? No, that really, it sums up a lot of the reports that were coming in from our own military pilots. Most of the reports that are in this particular nine-page unclassified report that was issued on June 25th, most of those reports are coming from the United States uh, Navy sources, pilots or crewmen on board any of the uh, naval craft that were in the areas when these things were happening. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know what kind of uh, flying object we have, I mean, like military-wise, that doesn't have wings or, like he said, any signs of propulsion. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that he did say in that, uh, I don't know if it was in the, I don't remember if it was in the clip or if I saw it later on, he said that it was something that moves and does uh, 600 Gs worth of force. And I was looking yesterday, uh, the maximum that a human being can like withstand uh, G-force-wise is 9 Gs, um, which is a lot less than 600. Yes. So obviously <laughs> it's not being manned by uh, something from this Earth. Um, or, like they say, it could be some kind of drone. Um, 
Mark, I'll let you get into the reasons or the, um, what am I trying to say here? The um, excuses as to what it could be. Yeah, first, if we can just go back a bit, though, why was this report even issued from the office of the, of the director of the National Intelligence? And there's a couple reasons. First off, starting back in 2004, we did start, uh, our United States military started receiving reports from their own personnel, mostly pilots, uh, about these unidentified aerial phenomena that were appearing in the skies while they were doing military maneuvers. And these unidentified aerial phenomena were performing in a way that, that we certainly can't with any of our U.S. military technology, and we believe uh, no other nation's military technology would be able to produce that also. So anyway, information began to leak out on an individual basis from some of the individuals in the military who had been involved in these incidents. And after they left the military, they began to quietly share this information or leak this information to other people. So then we come up to uh, the New York Times in 2017, uh, published an article which did two things. Uh, it first, it talked about these uh, people who were providing videos and other evidence of these encounters with UAPs by our military pilots. It talked about the fact that there were, you know, this was considered actual evidence, uh, proof that there was something up there that's flying around in ways that we can't match. As one pilot said, you know, they're flying circles around us, doing things we just can't, we can't do, and we can't keep up with them either. Uh, but the second part of that uh, article also talked about, for the first time, the fact that we had that secret Pentagon program, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and that was big news. So now it had become more of a public issue. There was more awareness among the general public about this subject, and members of Congress were beginning to get inquiries and feeling some pressure from some constituents about this whole thing, saying, is this all real? Is this really going on? And what are we going to do about the fact that some of these unidentified aerial phenomena are actually entering into restricted airspaces uh, either over, you know, our own military bases or, say, when we're doing uh, military maneuvers, you know, doing practice maneuvers out in either the Pacific or the Atlantic Ocean. So it was Congress that really mandated that they wanted something definitive and concrete from the Pentagon, from the Department of Defense, about these UAPs. And that's what led up to this report that was just released on June 25th of this year. That's, that's the genesis of that whole thing. That's why we're finally getting an actual report from the government. And this is the first time that you're really going to see an official report from anywhere in the U.S. government confirming that there are unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena that they really cannot explain as to what they are or where they come from or who made them. Yeah, um, I agree. I have a couple of theories that we can dabble in a little bit later in the episode. Right. Um, but like Mark said, these, these are uh, like restricted airspace, so... Why is it that these UFOs are in, in this, uh, you know what I mean, restricted airspace? And what are they doing in this restricted airspace? And it almost raises the question as to uh, if it is a different country, uh, you know what I mean, why are they spying on us? And why is it that for so long these people have been uh, withholding this information that they have, this technology? And you would think that... Um, they would bring it up and they would brag and they would boast and they would say, hey, you know what I mean? We're watching you. We, we, you know what I mean? We have this technology. We're way more technologically advanced than you are. You're so behind, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
and it just it's it's scary to think that we're being watched by something that we don't know what it is and <laughs> Mark's trying to figure out I'm such out. a techie. <laughs> I think I just trying launched a missile. All right. Um so I'm going to go into uh how this information came to really be about um, in 2017, Christopher Mellon um, leaked these unclassified videos um, to the New York Times, which is kind of what set this in motion. Um, and my question about that is, uh, why is it that he had to go and be, like, I guess, essentially undercover or do it in private so that nobody knew it was him? And and leak this information instead of it already being to our knowledge um, as to like what's going on in these restricted airspaces and and why we don't know what these objects are flying around in these restricted airspaces. I think that's part of the culture that's been going on for all these decades since you had the very first UFO or UAP reports from the 1940s. There has long been that very strong, very ever-present culture of uh, cynicism about the entire idea of any kind of unidentified flying objects that we really can't explain based on man-made technology. Uh, there's, there's just the ridicule that pilots have been, um, that have had to suffer, you know, any time that they have, whether they're military or commercial airline pilots, that they have been subjected to, really, when they did come forward and make these kind of reports. If you actually go through the nine-page unclassified report, you will see in there that they do note that a number of the military pilots that were interviewed uh, during the process of putting this report together made it very clear that there was a reluctance among pilots still to come forward. There was a real reluctance because uh, that culture is still there, that they would be subject to ridicule, that people would be making jokes about them and you know, making jokes about the little green men hanging out with them and all that. that that's that been a part of the culture for a long time. That's why people finally got fed up and were starting to leak this kind of information. These are good people. Many of them were the military veterans themselves who had been involved. So these aren't, you know, hoaxers or someone that's coming up with a crazy story or trying to get some sort of 15 minutes of fame. These were good patriotic people that were actually leaking the information out because they think it's a very serious issue and it is something that we should be focusing on and putting a lot of attention and resources into solving because it does pose a threat to national security when there's something coming into restricted airspace or flying over any area of the United States, and we don't really know what that is, who they are, and what they represent. And a, and a good question to, to really add to that and to, to ask is, if these people uh, were so scared to be like ridiculed and, and, and all that kind of stuff, why would they bring it up? You know what I mean? Why would they raise the question... Or why would they even put their credibility on the line to to bring something up that is quote unquote make believe? So that's I think that's a very like good question to ask. It, it speaks to their character. They're willing to undergo whatever they have to undergo now because these things have been happening. This report is strictly restri you know restricted, as Zach said, to the period of two thousand and four till uh, two thousand and twenty one. Now, the explanation for that was because they felt that these are the incidents, like I said, mostly from United States naval pilots and personnel. Uh, these are the incidents that they have the best evidence, the best amount of documentation that they could review. And that's why that was. But these people, 
that are coming forward, I do think that they have the absolute best of intentions. They realize it's a serious issue. The report it says, the self uh, does point out that this is a matter, first off, of national security, if we have things flying over that we can't explain. It's also a matter of air safety, as the report points out, because you don't just have military pilots in the sky, you have commercial airline pilots. And there's a lot more of those commercial airline planes flying up there than military planes. So there is a fear of possible collisions and things like that that definitely make it a, an air safety issue. So that's why these people came forward. Enough of the games, enough of them reporting to their superiors while they were in the military. Look, look at the documentation we cop, you know, our sensors, our sensory equipment on the, uh, on the aircrafts that we're flying. Look at that and, and our own visual contacts when those happened. And, you know, the, the problem was they were reporting these things and then nothing's coming back to them. Nothing's coming back through official channels about, you know, this is being looked into or anything's being done about this. It was just a kind of a wall of silence. So that's why these people that leaked this classified information were leaking it. Yeah, and uh, something that we kind of talked about um, the other day is these people would go and they would they would tell their higher ups, and their higher ups would kind of just be like, "Oh, you know what I mean? Don't don't bring it up, brush it off. It's nothing." So my question is, do they even know what what it is that they're dealing with, or they are just scared to bring that to their higher ups and and raise a question about these unidentified flying objects? and have them also get ridiculed for believing these people for coming to them in the first place. Yeah. Um, I want to, let me just go into some of the initial information that the official report actually did point out just to give a quick overview to get, try to get everything under control here. There were 144 reports from U S government sources, mostly U S Navy that were reported. Only one report was actually able to be, reviewed, studied, analyzed, and then they were able to come up with an actual explanation of what that particular UAP was. The other 143 unidentified aerial phenomena, they don't have an answer. That's the point of this report. They just don't know what to explain. But it is interesting that 80 of those reports involve observations by our pilots in our military planes. They involve observation with multiple sensors. So it's not just one device, you know, the radar device, whatever, the weapon-seeking device. It's uh, multiple sensors, and 21 of the 143 reports, <clears throat> excuse me, that were, um, that are in the unexplained category, involve unusual UAP movement patterns or flight characteristics. You know, very fast speeds, incredible, being able to stop instantaneously, being able to turn, things that we just don't have the technology for right now. Now, another interesting point is that 11 of the pilots did report near misses with a UAP. That's one of the things that led them to say that that's why this does present an air safety issue here, and it's a critical issue, because that was 11 near misses uh, by our own military pilots with these UAPs. Most of the unidentified aerial phenomena, and I'm quoting right from the report, right from the report uh, probably do represent physical objects, given that a majority of the UAP were registered across these multiple sensors, radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and even visual observations by the pilots. So there are probably multiple types of these unidentified aerial phenomena requiring different explanations based on the range of appearances and the actual behaviors that were described in the reports. Yeah, and I actually um, wanted to go over the, some of these explanations that the government, uh, perfect, um, there we go. were saying that these things could be. So uh, if you don't mind, I'll go over these. Sure. Start with number one. Uh, 
airborne clutter, which could be um, birds, balloons, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones. Um, number two, uh, natural atmospheric phenomena, ice crystals, moistures, thermal fluctuations that register on radar systems. Uh, number three, the U.S. government or industry developmental programs, classified programs by U.S. entities, government, or private industry. And the last one, well, we have two more. Um, foreign adversary systems, which would be technologies developed by China, Russia, etc. And five, mine and Mark's favorite, other. What a great catch-all category, other. Just think about some of these, though. Um, when you look through the report, or if you've seen any of these videos and any of the news reports on, on the uh, leaked videos and all that, one of the things that come across is how often these unidentified aerial phenomena are operating at hypersonic speed, which is faster than the speed of sound, which we supposedly, no country on Earth was supposed to have any sort of hypersonic drone at this point. But they do uh, tend to operate at hypersonic speed. So birds, balloons, or unmanned aerial vehicles for the airborne clutter, I just know in my own life I've never seen an a bird flying at hypersonic speed or a balloon. I've just never seen it. A bird it. flying at Mach 4.8. That would be uh, interesting. I'm sure the Audubon <laughs> Society would like to see that, the, the Society for People That Love Birds. But I've never seen it, and I've never heard of anything like that or seen any report. But anyway, because they're working with what evidence and material they have, that's why they've had to come up with these categories. And the next one is natural atmospheric phenomena, like you said, ice crystals or moistures, thermal fluctuations. Um, I don't know. When you look at some of those videos, I mean, you clearly see what our pilots, our military pilots reported. They see actual flying objects that are moving, that they're tracking, and they're being tracked across multiple sensors. So, I mean, maybe you could have a glitch or, a, you know, something happening with one of your systems when you have multiple sensory systems, you know, reporting the same thing. I don't think all of them are picking up necessarily, uh, like they say, some sort of thermal fluctuation in, in the um, of radar systems or anything like that. The third thing, that I did find this interesting, the U.S. government or private industry, basically, uh, is either the government or um, private industries engage in some sort of classified secret programs uh, with these uh, various aerial phenomena that are being seen. I, I find that hard to believe. As far as private industry, I mean, certainly there could be aerospace companies and uh, Anyone involved with, uh, you know, aircraft technology that could be maybe trying to work on something like a hypersonic drone. But these sightings go back all the way to 2004. So if you have a private company that's out to make a profit and a private company or organization has made uh, these hypersonic drones that are being seen and reported and tracked on multiple sensory systems, uh, when do they plan on, on starting to sell these and making a profit on them? That would be my first logical question about that. I find that a little bit hard to believe. I don't doubt that maybe someone's working on something like this, but I can't believe that they would have it around for at least 17 years. And I think these type of things, these sightings, these type of incidents go back long before 2004. But since this report's restricted to that period, after 17 years, I mean, when, when are you going to start announcing to the world, like, look what we've made? Look what we've flown and tested, and we want to sell it because we're going to make a profit off of this. So I question the idea of private industry being literally being you know responsible for these things. I just don't think it doesn't make any sense to me, logically speaking. Certainly not very good business sense if you're flying these things and yeah. spending an awful lot of money on research and development, on the design of these things, and then the actual production and manufacture of them, and then you're actually testing them. How long are you going to test them? 
before you start selling these things, letting the world know you have them and then making the profit that you normally do. And as far as the U.S. government, I mean, up until now, when I watch some of these uh, physicists that have been interviewed on TV, you know, in the wake of this report being issued on, on June 25th, I mean, as far as those scientists were aware, they didn't think anybody on planet Earth yet had hypersonic drones. So what are we saying when we say category number three, U.S. government or industry development, that our government would actually have created these um, these hypersonic drones and what, they've been flying them around now for 17 years doing what, testing them and doing nothing better than, you have nothing better to do than spooking our own military pilots or anybody else that sees these things. How long would you be doing this before you're going to let it be known that, hey, we've got this. We still have that edge. We're still number one in the world. We have this edge. I mean, certainly our own military pilots that were encountering these UAPs had absolutely no experience with anything like these before, and they had no knowledge of anything like this being in our own military arsenal, you know, available uh, weapons and, and planes and so forth. So I just question that whole idea of it being the U.S. government or, or private industry. I think that was a, that's just a, it doesn't make sense to me. Foreign adversary was number four. Is, is, in other words, are these hypersonic drones that have actually been built and are being flown by countries such as China or Russia or maybe countries that are you know, known for being sponsors of international terrorism, adversaries of the United States and potential adversaries of the United States. Again, that's a scary thought. I mean, if that's true, number one, that's very disappointing because we the people pay the freight for the military and for, for our government. We're the ones paying our taxes and, and supporting all of this research and development. And I thought, and I think all of us thought, we're paying this because we're supposed to be maintaining an edge to keep us number one in the world. So if these things are in fact these incredible hypersonic drones with, that make no sonic boom, you know, no visible exhaust or, or anything like that, uh, these things that scientists themselves have been saying, we didn't think anybody in the world had these yet. We were completely unaware of this. That's a pretty scary thought. Number one. But number two, I question that. I mean, if any foreign adversary really has designed these hypersonic drones and they're using them to test our defenses, and there's plenty of people out there on social media saying that, you know, that, hey, guys, this is all it is. It's just foreign adversaries. Uh, again, these reports date back to 2004. How long are you going to be doing that? <laughs> this is 17 years now, at least. And as I said, I think it's longer when you go back into yeah. other cases that weren't reviewed by by the organizations, the government agencies that prepared this report. So I would say, you know, how long are they going to do this? How long are they going to be up there playing tag with our military planes or, you know, flying? The, I understand the theory. You would think that, yes, any adversary would want to be able to design something like this, test our defenses, see what information they could get access to, you know, with overflight uh, surveillance and things like that. But I'm just very skeptical that any foreign country has gotten that far ahead of the United States and we'll be able to design these things that, that, that have so puzzled and alarmed our own military pilots. So other is the last category, and that is the great catch-all phrase, something else. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to be totally critical on the report. I know that when you read through the report, they are promising the United States Congress, that being the Defense Department, the Pentagon, all of these agencies that are involved, including the FBI, they're all promising that, look, we're going to do a more comprehensive job from here on in in reviewing any reports from anybody in any branch of the military 
Uh, and uh, we're going to do a much better job of investigating this and researching what's going on and trying to get to the bottom of this. So they are making you know, promises. They are admitting that things in the past were not done properly, that there was that culture of ridicule and, you know, and suppression, really, of, of reports uh, that should have been made public. Uh, they're promising a little bit more transparency. And I think that's why the, the category other is probably the one we want to, I think, you and I, I know, focus yeah. on it. But I would, I would suggest that other people might look at those and think about what we just said about these five categories. And I think other is going to be the category. <laughs> that's the one where we're going to be focusing on because that's probably the, uh, the most likely category for most of these UAPs, and certainly those cases where we talked about how they were caught on multiple sensory devices, and certainly about the ones that are, you know, performing at speeds and performing maneuvers that we just can't match. Yeah. Running circles around our own military pilots, as they say. So real quick, I just want to run through this list, because you pretty much hit every point that mm-hmm. that I pretty much had, but I just want to kind of give a little bit of opinion on each of these real fast. Sure. So for number one, the airborne clutter, I mean... Looking at some of the videos, it is almost impossible for it to be a bird. It doesn't have wings, obviously, in some of the videos, as you can tell, um, like a paper bag, a balloon. Again, doesn't really make sense to me. Um, an aerial vehicle or a drone, like Mark said, it it it's not very likely that these uh, drones or anybody really has a technology to to make these drones be able to to move at those speeds and make those maneuvers like they are in these videos. Um, so number two, the uh, natural atmospheric phenomena, like the ice crystals, moistures, and thermal fluctuations. I just kind of find that to be another kind of poor excuse, like number one. Um, these things are, are moving, they're rotating, and and the accounts that people are having, they're seeing these things with their own eyes. And again, I just think it's kind of a poor excuse and another, like kind of like diversion excuse to mm-hmm. to get people to just be like, oh, okay, and just kind of brush it off when, I mean, these people are are trained pilots and, and they're trained to have an eye for, for things like this and, and they know what they saw and I don't think it's fair to discredit anybody. Right. Um, so I just think that's another very bad example. And so I think three and four are the most... Um, like, they have the most potential to be true. Um, the U.S. government or industry development programs, such as uh, classified programs, which obviously they wouldn't give us the information to that if they are working on something um, that that has that kind of technology to, to spy and to just see how it works against their own radars because uh, maybe they have the, I- the idea or the, um, the thought that they're better than everybody else and and their radars are better and they're more advanced because they do spend a lot of money on Mm -hmm. on the military so i don't see why they wouldn't practice against what they consider to be the best uh military to put these uh ufos up against and then five foreign adversary systems technologies developed by china russia etc kind of goes with number three um maybe they're spying on us it it poses no actual threat so far so there's i mean as of right now there's nothing to be scared about but if it is from a foreign country and and they're flying in these restricted air spaces then it is something to be kind of worried about um 
we've seen that none of these are really kitted with like machine guns and like missiles and stuff like that. So in that sense, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like we're not going to get attacked. Um, but in the sense of someone is gathering information, yeah. that is definitely uh, something that is kind of scary to think about. Oh yeah, yeah. Those those are all good points. And I, I as I said earlier, I hope to God some other nation hasn't gone and leaped that far ahead of us, our own United States military and, and our own industrial uh, facilities here. I hope they haven't gone that far ahead of us that they're able to come up with these flying drones, these hypersonic drones, ahead of the United States and now have an advantage over us. That's the part that bothers me very much. Because if that's true, then we've really failed. Yeah, I we mean... We've really failed. Both our military and our intelligence communities have failed. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, it, if they did... I mean, congratulations, that's a terrific, like, technological advance. Um, but in the sense of, like, the safety over here, I mean, that isn't very good for us. Um, I would hope, like, a World War Three or something like that wouldn't start because of something like this. But right. but knowing, like, the past of of just history in general, it's it's always kind of been, oh, we're going to butt heads with everybody, everybody and we're not going to be happy for these technological advances that we've made. Um, but like I said, it is, it is kind of, kind of a concern to think that these, these UFOs are in these restricted areas. And for all we know, they could be spying on us. They could be. I just, I don't know. One thing I want to point out right now, um, we'll go back a little bit about something you talked about earlier. When we're talking about these unidentified aerial phenomena, as the report said, you know, they're not all the same. There are different shapes and different capabilities that they're showing. So the first case that you were talking about, the first reported incident from 2004, was that Navy pilot who captured that uh, UFO footage that has you know, been all over the Internet, all over the news now. And the way he described that particular UAP was as a smooth, white, oblong object, 40 feet long, basically resembling a, like a giant tic-tac you know, those tic-tac candies. No visible wings, no rotors, no propulsion systems, and no exhaust plume, but able to travel at hypersonic speed. So in his opinion, and the opinion of many scientists who have now looked at these films, these you know, the videos of, of the sensory device uh, reports on, on these UAPs, uh, the objects seem to defy the, law, the laws of physics. Um, making a, you know, going at hypersonic speed without making a sonic boom is supposed to be impossible. Uh, it could descend from 50,000 feet to 100 feet in just a few seconds and could change direction instantaneously and all that. Another interesting thing was what that pilot said when that he was attempting to uh, use his radar. They jammed the radar, that object, whatever that flying giant tic-tac was. It was able to react to his maneuvers and actually jam his attempts to use his radar against it. So that, to me, implies an intelligence there. But there were other sightings, and there have been other... Uh, videos that are out there that show that it's not just all giant tic tacs that are flying around up there that are unexplained. Uh, some of the uh, UAPs that have been uh, recorded and reported on are uh, have been described as almost like an acorn-shaped object, and some have been uh, reported as flying triangular-shaped objects. And that's why I, when you talk about, you know, could it be another country or could it even be our own, our own U.S. government secret project or whatever? Well, these flying triangle reports go back decades, not just in the United States, but elsewhere in the world. Uh, they go back decades. You had reports of uh, 
a substantial number of flying triangular vehicles in Europe back in, say, 1981, and, excuse me, 1989 to 1991. I know that the, especially in the country of Belgium, where the Belgium Air Force was attempting to intercept these things and, uh, you know, track them and follow them. It got to the point where they actually asked the United States, is this something that you're working on? Is this some secret weapon of yours? Because we don't know what they are and we can't catch them and we can't, we don't know what they are and we don't explain them. But so you have, you've had flying triangular unidentified aerial phenomena for decades now. So if that's a secret U.S. government project and invention and weapon or aerial craft, how long do you plan on keeping it secret? I mean, it's been around for decades now. There's been multiple reports, uh, not just by military, but by law enforcement officials and regular civilians like us. How, how long do you keep something like that secret? You know, you're testing it and you're, you know, using it and seeing the capabilities, seeing does it really work. Well, my God, you've had it for decades now. So if, if these UAPs that are uh, triangular shaped and that have been reported by our pilots, I mean, if that's some United States government secret project, we sure have been keeping it secret a long time. And what are we doing with them? Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, stems into um, like Area 51. I know there's a lot of theories um, right. with, with that. Um, and one of the things that I think about most is because I've read it and I've seen a couple theories where it's like um, Area 51 is where they pretty much manufacture these things. And then they take the the aliens, um, UFOs that the crash land or the ones that they are able to shoot down and they study them and they're able to fix them up and, and get them running and stuff like that. So, I mean, that could as well be an explanation i mean it's it it sounds far-fetched but really a lot of the things don't sound far-fetched like it makes sense almost in a, in a way yeah when, when you get into those subjects and that's something we can delve deeper into in another podcast yes, i yes. mean there's so many things involved in UFOs or UAPs, whatever you want to call them. There's an awful lot involved there. You can't possibly cover it in one podcast unless you're continuously broadcasting yeah. without ever stopping for months on end. Yeah, it's like there's a, just been so much that's gone on. It's like a big um, like spider web, and it just kind of stems in all different directions. Yes. And it's all it's all connected, and it's all like it all correlates together. So we will definitely um, go into those. Um, like ideas and those, those conspiracies, and we'll definitely talk about them and and how they connect to each other and how they connect to, I guess you could say, even this, because um, this is a big topic, just in itself. But when you take a step back and you look at the bigger picture, like all the theories about UFOs and and everything that's happened and the timeline of of the first UFO sighting all the way up to the most recent. Something's going on, and and people obviously don't know what it is. That's why they're called UFOs, and people believe that, that aliens man these things, as the government says, maybe drones, or it could be a paper bag, um, <laughs> which, <Could be. laughs> which is, I think, the most far-fetched theory. And I'm a very open-minded person, and I know Mark is a very open-minded person, so if you do have theories about what this is, please feel free to reach out to us on, on any of our social media platforms. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please feel free to comment down below. We'll be looking at all the comments and uh, everything like that. So we are definitely open-minded. We, um, we don't discourage you to do your own research either. I think it is a very 
um, positive thing to do, I think, because you cannot believe everything that you see on the internet, but if you go and you do your own research um, and it makes sense to you and that's what you believe in, that is great. Um, we would love to hear from you guys. Um, anything else you would like to add to my little ramble there? No, no, that's that's no, that's not a ramble. That was very. <laughs> those are good points. We do want to hear from other people. One thing I would say is, as someone who, since I was a young boy around sixth grade and first started, just reading once in a while about UFOs and all that, the one thing that I think anyone who's ever looked at the field of ufology could say, or unidentified aerial phenomena, you know, many times people can honestly make a mistake or not really understand what they're looking at when they see something very quickly and that might appear strange to them. But overall, I think anyone who's ever done serious research in the field of ufology, the study of UFOs and UAPs, will tell you that basically by the time everything is wrapped up, you know, about 95% of objects, at least 95% of objects that have been initially identified as unidentified flying objects because you're not sure exactly what they were, they will be resolved. There will be you know, a pretty high rate of, of being able to explain satellites and drones, Chinese lanterns, all these kind of things that have been, you know, seen and people have, mis you know, don't know exactly what they're looking at. And, and so they are unidentified until someone's able to review the information, the material, the evidence, the documentation, and then determine if they can, you know, actually identify it. And then it becomes an identified flying object. So it's those 5% or so of the cases that are really the ones that are you know, most interesting for those of us who are interested yeah. in the field. And I think right now that when you read this report, and they're basically saying that it could be this, could be that, but overall, those 143 incidents, primarily U.S. Navy incidents, they really can't explain. I, I'm a little disappointed with that answer, but I wasn't surprised. As, you know, when I watched the news conference and I, I read through the nine pages, uh, because it's kind of been the pattern all along. Ever since the first really big, you know, reported incidents of unidentified flying objects in the 1940s, right on up through now. I mean, it, it's part of that culture that we talked about earlier. We're never really, the subject was never really given the thoroughness that I think it should have been treated with, the scientific investigations that should have been going on, and the transparency. That's the big thing that really bothers me is the transparency. In this report, they are promising that things are going to be done much more methodically, Perhaps they'll do quarterly reports to the United States Congress or whatever. But transparency is the big question. That's what I want to see uh, from all of these agencies, from all of the official representatives of the government and of our military intelligence, if there's really going to be that sort of transparency. Because really the track record's pretty poor. That percentage of people that we had talked about earlier you know, that just don't think the government's doing a very good job, I mean, that, that's, that's a complaint that's been going on for a long time now. And it's a valid one. I, I completely agree, and um, I wonder if I'll even be around if these when these UFOs turn to IFOs, or if they ever will turn into IFOs, if we ever figure out what they are. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point, because it depend, It leads us to the three questions that we've you and I have talked about uh, by ourselves. When you read through this report, and you watch those videos, and you, know, you read the news, and you're out on social media looking at all these things, I mean, what are the three big questions that come out? when we step back from this report right now and look at it, what are these objects? Where are they from? And who's making them? And of course, after that, it'll be like, yeah, and, and why are they here? Then, if it's, if it's, <laughs> yeah. if it's, not, yeah. if it's not a foreign adversary or a United States government or a private company. One other uh, area that has been brought up by some people is that 
they think, and I've, I've seen a number of sites on the uh, internet that, you know, have some people kind of pushing out this theory of everybody relax. All these things are glitches or malfunctions in the machinery on our military uh, aircraft that, you know, that are taking, you know, recording uh, all of these things. It, it's just something within the machine itself. They're actually recording something. There's a defect, there's a malfunction or whatever. That particular explanation is one that I find very insulting. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a denigrating comment directed towards all of those military pilots, all of the military personnel who serve as technicians and maintaining all of these uh, aircraft or the actual naval vessels where the radar is also tracking them, and also the people that have designed and produced and uh, you know, supplied all of the sensory devices that have been used on all of these reports. Are you saying that you know, none of these people is intelligent enough to realize when there's a glitch or a mistake in these uh, various sensory equipments like the radar. I, I think that's really an insulting thing to say to these people. That's a real put down on our pilots, and they don't deserve that because they're the best in the world. It's, it's a real put down on all the other military personnel that are working on these aircraft and on our, on our naval vessels and anything else that has any kind of uh, sensory tracking that's been done on UAPs, and also the companies that, that manufacture these and, and that provide these to the U.S. military. I just think that one is kind of a smug attempt at debunking and once again there you go immediately you know going into criticism and you know really it's an implied put down on these people that one i just i find that very hard to believe especially when you have multiple as the report itself says there were there are individual planes with multiple sensory reports you know and, and recordings that were going on so are all of these machines malfunctioning at the same time do all of them have these repeated defects because Justice report alone was looking at 143 incidents and reported incidents where they can't explain what these things were, but they were being recorded. So I, I find it hard to believe that there's some sort of technical glitch in these, in, in, you know, in, with all the money we spend on the military aircraft that we use and all of our, all of our military equipment, I just find that one to be a really condescending, debunking article that just doesn't carry any weight with me. Um, and real quick, I just want to say that this uh, topic is on the United States, so I don't want anyone to think that we're being very uh, conceited about our country and people like look at us like, oh, look at these guys. You know what I mean? They're so USA, USA, we're the best, we're the best. Um, because I know if I read an article of, um, say, perhaps a, a Belgian um, Navy or Air Force seeing one of these UFOs, I wouldn't discredit them either because these people are trained to do a certain job and they know what, what they see. So um, I just wanted to bring that up and say that we're not putting down any anybody else who has ever possibly seen one of these UFOs or anything like that because it is very, very plausible that you, you could have seen one of these UAPs or UFOs or whatever you want to call them. Um, and we don't want to, like put that down or discourage that you guys aren't considered the best of, of your country. What he, Mark was trying to say is that they're the, the best of, of what we consider the best. Like they don't just get this job overnight. It's not something that you can apply for, like, like applying at McDonald's. You know what I mean? These people have a certain set of skills that they have to display every single day at their job. And it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so with these, uh, glitches that Mark was talking about in the radar. I actually want to go into the uh, Ryan Graves phenomena that he saw. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and we're actually going to play a video here in a couple seconds. But Good. Um, 
he said that these radars that he had were updated in 2014 to advanced radars. So I find it very hard to believe that these newer advanced radars that they put into these uh, aircrafts glitched. And I find it very hard to believe that his eyes glitched uh, to us what he saw. Right. Um, and he said that uh, they would see these UFOs every day for a couple of years, right. which is uh, cr- crazy to me. I mean, if you're you're seeing these uh, UFOs every day, you kind of get used to them being around. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And um, so we're going to play that video actually for you here right now. Let me pull it up. And I will play this video right now. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Look at that thing, dude. So that was just a short eight-second clip from the uh, 60 Minutes interview. Um, the same 60 Minutes interview from earlier that the Navy pilots describe encounters of UFOs. Um, and pretty much these guys are shocked as to what they're seeing. Um... It looks to be a, a, I would say that that's an acorn shape almost. Yes, I would agree. That's that's one um, of the incidents with an acorn shaped UAP. And I feel like you can, you can't really debunk that as something like a bird or because it's it's rotating in in such a way that it's almost hard to believe that it it would be a bird. Um, I don't think it would be an ice crystal or or anything like that. I mean, it just has such an odd shape and it's 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 moving at such weird ways that really honestly can't be explained. Um, and like I said, these, these radars were updated in 2014. So is the government going to admit that easily that it could have been a glitch? Like it's almost like, Oh yeah, we messed up. They, I, I find that hard to believe that they would want to admit that they messed up. Yeah, they're not going to want to admit that. No, that's that's certainly part of the the history that we've been dealing with with the whole unidentified aerial phenomena um, research since the 1940s, and uh, no one's going to want, want to talk about that sort of thing. One thing I wanted to, if I could just circle back on for a minute, because I was looking at this today, we had mentioned about that Pentagon, the uh, article in the New York Times back in 2017 that first leaked out about these videos that we've been uh, talking about and that are referred to in this report from the government, and also that uh, the establishment of that Pentagon program, a black budget item that was not public knowledge for the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. So um, when Senator Harry Reid at that time was able to get that funding, like I said, about $22 million, that program actually ran uh, for some years before it was shut down. it was a shutdown in uh, 2012. But when uh, Senator Reid was able to get the funding for that, uh, he did uh, reach out to a longtime friend of his, Robert Bigelow of Bigelow Aerospace in Las Vegas, to actually run and oversee that program. When Bigelow was interviewed in 2017 on 60 Minutes, uh, he had said that he was absolutely convinced that aliens exist and that he was absolutely convinced that UFOs have visited the Earth. Uh, Luis Elizondo was the military intelligence officer who was actually running the program at the Pentagon itself while that program was in effect for those years. Now, funding for that was officially shut down in 2012, 
But Elizondo has said that after the funding was cut, he still continued to work on UAP or UFO research with various U.S. Navy and CIA officials until he himself left in 2017. So um, here we go again. <laughs> there's a lack of transparency there, but there's, there's things that, you know, you do have to stop and wonder about what all, all of this information that's coming at us, it does make you think like, you know, are all of these people fooled? Are all, you know, the, you know, they are, you know, that's a, maybe in, in terms of a huge budget of, you know, billions and billions of dollars, 22 million doesn't sound like a lot, but to me, $22 million is a substantial amount of money. And that money was being budgeted and used for this specific Black Budget Pentagon program, specifically looking into the, the, the threats, that's why it's called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, the threats that were possibly being posed by these UAPs in the sky. So transparency would be a great thing. I hope after they've you know issued this preliminary assessment that they put out that they are going to be a little more transparent in the future, but I'm you know, I'm not going to hold my breath and expect that at this point, just because of the long history of not being transparent and honest with us at a large scale. They were almost forced into doing this because information was being leaked out, you know, and, and the, between, you know, uh, videos being circulated and then being put online and then the uh, New York Times article and all that. So I'm hoping that they'll be transparent, and I hope they're going to keep their promises about making it easier for military personnel to report any kind of UAP encounter and, and not have to fear being ridiculed or sanctioned in some way or punished, you know, for coming forward and saying something. But I'm, I'm still a little leery about the official government efforts that are going to be going on from this point on with the whole, you know, with this whole area of UAPs. Yeah, I agree. And it's not the first time that, that information has been leaked and the government has had to do, uh, like, damage control on, on a situation like that. Right. Um, I want to kind of just go back and talk about that clip and um, Senator Harry Reid. Um, so CBS News, this is from about a year ago, tweeted the three videos uh, that were surfaced in, in 2017 that, um, hold on, uh, what's his name? Christopher Mellon. Yes. Yeah, that he leaked. Um, so they posted these, and Senator Harry Reid, um, he's the senator, or was the senator of Nevada. Nevada, mm -hmm. and um, the Senate Majority Leader, too, at that yeah. time. So he tweeted, this is what he said back to the tweet. It was just a little clip of the video that we showed, actually, in the um, in this podcast. So he says, I'm glad the Pentagon... That <laughs> I'm glad the Pentagon is finally releasing this footage, but it only scratches the surface of research and materials available. The U.S. needs to take a serious scientific look at this and any potential national security implications. The American people deserve to be informed. So um, I think that is a very strong tweet, especially coming from somebody who is, who is in the Senate and is from Nevada. I mean, I, since he's from Nevada, Area 51 is in Nevada. We're kind of revisiting the whole Area 51 thing. Right. But I'm sure he's seen some stuff. Yes, that's why he got to Nevada. Yeah, the reports that were coming to him, yeah. as he's made clear now. I think his uh, his intentions were absolutely sincere. It was military and civilian sources that were providing him with information that was saying, look, this is a serious thing. And he certainly met with these people, listened to them, looked at what they were presenting, and then made that decision of, look, we got to allot some money, some actual federal money into this because this isn't some urban legend or some crazy mythology that's going around now or, you know, this isn't the result of hoaxes or... 
people drinking a little bit too much and thinking they're saying things, this is a real possible threat to national security. And he was, he was especially concerned from what I've seen him say in some interviews about the national security aspects of, you know, unidentified objects of some sort going over our military bases, uh, appearing to be testing our defense system, our defensive systems here, and, you know, going into restricted airspace. That's not something that should be taken lightly. Um, I, I agree. And I think that more people like Senator Harry Reid should be in positions of, of I guess you could say, power. Um, yes, he's people, retired now. <laughs> people that want to be transparent with, you know what I mean, the United States and the people of the United States. Uh, I think it's a good thing that he took the time, you know what I mean, out of his day or, or week or whatever to sit down and listen to these people mm-hmm. uh, explain their stories and, and what they saw and he really did listen and he didn't try and, and debunk them and say oh you're crazy you're seeing things etc cetera, etc cetera. and he actually kind of just took the time and and listened and and he believed these people and I think that we need more people like that that want to see uh, the government be transparent with the United States people Yes, I wish uh, more officials in the government and in the military and in military intelligence in particular, when you would have face-to-face meetings like Senator Reid did with these people, that we do get away from that culture of ridicule or rolling the eyes and here we go again and, you know, this is all, you know, lunatic fringe type of information. Take that more objective and serious approach, be willing to listen, and don't just, you know, rule out any possibility. Look at the evidence and then and, and investigate and do the research more thoroughly and using scientific methodology, hopefully, hopefully, uh, that's the better approach than what we've seen up to now. So he does set a good example of you know, how certainly elected leaders should be responding to this issue. And there are members of Congress right now that are concerned about this. I've seen some of them interviewed you know, on different uh, TV news programs. They do want it, especially about these violations of U.S. airspace and restricted airspace. I mean, that is a concern. And there is the first question that, you know, the first question that comes to their mind, you know, is this possibly foreign adversaries that are behind that. So I, that, that is a legitimate question. It's just that, as I said earlier, I have my doubts about whether it's actually foreign based on, you know, the technology that they're displaying. So, Yes, I, I agree, and I believe... Um, I, I, <clears throat> my goodness. I <laughs> agree to what you said, and I believe that we should uh, kind of move forward and, and take action um, to figure out what these things are. Um, so... What you have up on the um, thing here is, uh, yeah. do you mind if I just take I'll you, read, you like take the first paragraph absolutely. here? Absolutely, you take that over so there. So no. this is the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. So mm-hmm. on August 4th, Deputy Secretary of Defense David L. Norquist yes. mm-hmm. okay. um, approved the establishment of an Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, UAP, uh, or UAPTF, Mm-hmm. Uh, the Department of the Navy, under the cognizance of the Office of the Under Secretary of Defense for the Intelligence and Security, will lead the UAPTF. Right. So you'll see UAPTF, you know, referred to in this report that came out. This was established August fourth, twenty twenty, long you know before this report. So they were involved in the preparation of this nine-page unclassified report that has been issued on the UAPs. Um, the Department of Defense made it very clear at the time of this announcement that uh, the mission of the task force would be to detect, analyze, and catalog 
any unidentified aerial phenomena that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. And they stress the fact that the uh, safety of U.S. military personnel and the security of all of our military operations are of paramount concern. So they take both the Department of Defense and all the military departments take any incursions by unauthorized aircraft into our training ranges or designated airspace, and that would be restricted airspaces like we talked about earlier, very seriously, and they will examine each report. So this was something that happened prior to the release of that report that we're talking about now, the uh, UAPTF, that we, they were very much involved in the preparation of this, along with all those other agencies. So that is an organization that the Pentagon realized they had to do something, and they were definitely getting pressured by Congress. So here's, again, one of the results of, of transparency. As things were being leaked out, these reports, these videos, and all that, this is yet the result, another result of what was going on they were willing to go so far as to actually set up a brand new task force to start coordinating all the research, all the investigations into these various UAPs. And that was back in 2020, you know, long before this report was actually issued in, in June of 2021. Yeah, and it just goes to pretty much further back up the evidence that it, it is damage control. And they're like, oh, shoot, we need to, to do something about this. And we need to take action and and make it seem like we're actually doing something, right? Um, f- like to just show, put a put a face on for the for the United States citizens that we're actually being productive about this. And um, I just think it's it's frustrating and it's almost annoying that they have to do this damage control and they have to pretty much put everything together last minute. And that's all I really have to say about that. I mean, it, it, it is frustrating because like you've said before, the transparency with the government and the citizens is just, it's almost non-existent at this point. Um, and, and I've, I've said, and I'll say again, it's, it's frustrating that things have to be leaked for any action to be taken taken even somewhat seriously. But even then, it's just some last-minute thing that they kind of put together to just say, hey, we're, we're looking into it. When they, we know that they know, <laughs> they know, we know that they know, that <laughs> we know. Well said, we, very well said. We know, we're on to you, is, is all I have to say. Yes, and keep in mind, too, that Congress controls the purse strings for the U.S. military. So when members of Congress, you know, those members that got involved here, I mean, when they just got fed up enough or hearing enough from their constituents, from we the people, since, like I said, we're the ones financing all of this, we're paying the taxes, uh, they had enough. So when they ordered that there had to be some kind of report, and it looks like it's going to be a periodic report that's going to have to continue. This was just the first one. You know, they have to listen because that's who controls the money. The U.S. Congress controls the budget and the money. They're the ones that are going to give you, you know, those billions of dollars that you need in order to maintain our national defense. And so they don't have any choice at that point but to respond, and that's what they did. The uh, task force, the setting up the task force, and then eventually this report that was issued with the collaboration of all those 17 agencies that were involved in it. Uh, it's, It's good pressure, I think, that's being put on the Pentagon to, you know, increase the transparency that we need so so much 
But it's a shame it took that. It's a shame it had to go to this point. You know, it's a shame that going back decades, really, when your own personnel and, and other uh, reliable sources of reports and information were, you know, saying things and turning reports in, it's a shame that they weren't treated with the, uh, the respect, the open-mindedness, uh, you know, the, and the uh, just, just the basic respect that they should have been treated with and that these things weren't investigated the way they should have been investigated back when these things were happening over the last so many decades, back to the 1940s, really. Yeah, I I I like what you said there, and um, I know we talked about uh, people starting their own kind of uh, like research, essentially uh, non government funded. Um, and to be honest, I feel like I would trust their findings more than I would trust the U.S. government's because they can kind of pick and choose what is is shared. And these um, non government funded organizations. I feel have been started because they feel deceived almost. And, right. and these are people who have been um, like put down and, and called crazy because of what they saw and what they believe in. So they're stepping up and they're doing their own research to be transparent with the United States citizens, unlike how the government has been previously with us. Yes. Uh, um, and we're going to go into some of these organizations that have started now in response to this continual lack of transparency, the continual ridicule and humiliation of witnesses and all that there have been now. And I think that's where the future, what, what, what we really have to look forward to in the future is that we're going to have independent organizations, no government funding involved with these, not government programs or military programs, but independent private organizations that are going to be uh, trying to lead the way into independent and objective and scientific research. We'll go into this in just a moment, but one of the things I wanted to point out was I had just been reading about this earlier today. We were talking about, you know, the UAP task force that was established back in 2020 uh, by the uh, Department of Defense in order to coordinate all this research. That is really only a temporary task force, though, when you look into it, and I didn't realize that at first. So right now, it's just something that I was reading earlier today was that... Uh, one of the things that's being considered, and again, this is information leaking out from the inside, but it is being reported, and I think these people seem to be credible uh, officials, both in government and formal, formal officials in government or military, uh, that the United States Space Force, which was created in, during the Trump administration, uh, is being looked at now as possibly the successor to this UAP task force that was you know, put into effect in 2020, and that the Space Force itself would uh, take over the operations and the investigations and all the work that's going to be going on into the research on the UAPs. Um, that surprised me, actually, when I read that. I didn't realize the UAP task force. I should have known that, I guess, but I didn't realize that it was actually only set up to be temporary. I thought that was going to be an ongoing thing, even after reading the nine-page report. But uh, so, so now that's actually up in the air now. So who's going to be taking over? This is why I'm looking more towards independent organizations doing this, because I'm not so sure what's going to come out of all of this talk about well, should we let the Space Force take it over and just dismantle the UAP task force? Uh, some of the information leaking out is showing that people involved with the Space Force right now, you know, aren't really too thrilled about this whole idea. And if you read some of the stuff that's coming out, because they already feel that they've been made the, uh, the butt of many uh, jokes and, you know, uh, popular ridicule on maybe late night, you know, comedians and all that sort of thing. So uh, here we go. I don't know who's actually going to be taking over then for the government. Uh, the future work on UAP research. So 
I'm looking more towards independent groups. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple that we've looked into, a couple that we've looked up. This is um, information that's available all over the net. Uh, the first one is uh, called the Galileo Project at Harvard University. And uh, this project was created by Professor A.V. Loeb. He's a professor of science at Harvard. And for some years, he was actually the chairman of their astronomy department there. So he is uh, a traditional scientist, if that's how you want to phrase it, or a mainstream scientist. Um, but Dr. Loeb is definitely concerned with uh, what's going on now in the whole realm of the possibility of, of, of extraterrestrial life elsewhere, not even getting into whether or not they're visiting here, but just the idea of, of extraterrestrial life existing. And then, though, we're going into the possibility of, of is that possibly what's behind some of these unidentified aerial phenomena. So I like the one quote that he has uh, publicly stated, uh, and you can see that on, on the website for the Galileo Project. Human beings can no longer ignore the possible existence of extraterrestrial civilizations, and science can not dogmatically reject possible extraterrestrial explanations regarding UAPs. Um, he believes it's high time that the scientific community needs to scientifically and transparently look for potential evidence of extraterrestrial technological equipment. We already have, um, and we have had for some decades, the organization SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, using the ra uh, you know, radio telescopes. They're looking for electronic transmissions, radio transmissions, uh, that could possibly indicate some sort of intelligent civilizations out there somewhere, and they've been around for decades. So what the Galileo Project is aiming to do is they're not focusing on radio transmissions. They're looking for actual physical objects. That's a good step forward. So they're not trying to supplant the SETI operation. They're trying to, um, or I'm, you know, trying to uh, replace it. But they're they're trying to, you know, be partners in it. Let them focus on the radio transmissions uh, aspect of the search for extraterrestrial life, and they're going to be looking for actual physical objects. They've been pretty successful, from what I read. Private citizens have already contributed almost, I think, two million dollars to the Galileo project. These are people that have seen uh, Dr. Loeb on TV or they've gone on, you know, on the web or whatever, and they've, they've uh, seen interviews with him and, and papers that he's uh, uh, presented, and they like this idea of transparent scientific investigation of UAPs and, uh, and, and also looking at the possibility just that there could possibly be intelligent extraterrestrial civilizations that are behind these strange and mysterious and anomalous UAPs that are appearing and, and interacting with our military. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I just want to point out real quick that uh, uh, Professor Loeb said is that these are almost, he said, here, I'll, I'll just read the quote, mm -hmm. he dogmatically rejects the possibility of extraterrestrial expl explanations um, and I mean, it's possible, and and these UFOs move in such ways that w are unexplainable. I mean, from a couple of the articles that I've read, I mean, they come to a stop, and they can put it in reverse, and they can go up and down, and, and they can move in ways which we cannot mimic, um, and I'm sure a, a drone could not mimic. I mean, that's just my personal opinion here. Um I just think it, it, it is very plausible that, that there is extraterrestrial life. The, the one final quote I would quote from uh, Professor Loeb or Dr. Loeb is that uh, the Pentagon UFOs, 
these UAPs that we're talking about here in this nine-page report that has come out, uh, the Pentagon UFOs cannot be human-made because their behavior cannot be reproduced by our most advanced equipment. Now, that's coming from a solid scientist at Harvard University, and that's that's good enough for me. I like that. I like that quote, and I like what he's saying. Yes, he's looked at everything that's out there. He's reviewed this report and all that. But as of this point, his conclusion is that they just cannot be human made. So that addresses that whole issue: is it United States government, or is it some private corporation research secret project, or is it foreign adversaries? He's making it pretty pretty clear: these UAPs cannot be human made. So I wish. Dr. Loeb and all the other scientists that will be working on the Galileo project at Harvard, a lot of luck. I hope they can really make some progress. And as it's made clear when you look on their website or if you've seen any of the interviews with them, you know, this is to be a scientific approach. No more rolling the eyes when you hear a UFO or anything like that. Let's just put all that aside and let's try to just be objective and use scientific methodology in this investigation of these UAPs. That's, That's long overdue. That's exactly what we should have been doing a long time ago in this country, uh, and we haven't been so. I'm hoping that they have great success with their project. Um, so if we can just real quick get through these last two organizations here, and then we can hop into quick theories and then wrap this up. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of read this one, and then yes. you can go mm-hmm. over what's in the bold there. So the next one is the UAP Expedition Group, which was formed by some of the military veterans who were involved in UAP sightings and incidents while they were in the military. So like I said, these are the people that I would probably believe over the government because they're fed up. Uh, they're sick of, of being swept under the rug, essentially. Yeah, these are some of the people that were involved in the actual incidents. They're no longer with the military. And because of their experiences, because of all of the nonsense that they had to put up with while they were in the military and the fact of being ignored or being hushed up or you know being brushed off, uh, now that they're no longer in the military, they decided to form their own organization. The one thing that they stress on their, on their own website, if you look that up, and that is UAP Expeditions, uh, UAP Expedition Group, uh, is that they're searching for UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, through techno-signatures in our skies. You have military veterans, you have physicists, research scientists, and just trained observers. So they're taking another approach to scientifically trying to investigate the whole UAP phenomena, and they're trying to do this independent of the government and independent of the military. Very well said. Um, we ready to hop into the third one here? Yes, that's. Uh, you can look this up on the web also. That's the To the Stars Academy. They've been on, I've seen them on TV a number of times there. So uh, that's another private group, and you can look them up. They, uh, that group consists of a lot of former officials from the Pentagon, CIA, the Department of Defense, and their goal is to collect documents and physical materials from both public and private sources, any type of materials that are related to the UAP phenomena. So we wish them a lot of luck. They're, they have a lot of information on their websites out there, but those are just three. Uh, to me, I think they're the biggest three right now that I know of, but they're three of the private organizations that have formed to try and, and proceed with investigations without the government interference or funding. Yeah, and I think this is another one that I would I would probably believe anything that they really put out um, because they are uh, officials from the Pentagon and the CIA and stuff like that. So they already have prior knowledge yes. to what, what they're releasing to the public. Yeah, that includes uh, Luis Elizondo that we were talking okay. about from that ATIP group yeah, from the Pentagon, and then he resigned. Yes, he was part of uh, the formation of this to the Stars Academy. So I think all three of these, I mean, I think it's a great approach. I wish all of them luck, uh, and I hope that they will give us 
some answers down the road. I know it's going to take a while because there's an awful lot involved with these mysterious UAPs, but I wish them all the best of luck because it's about time that we get some transparency on this and some honest, direct, scientific answers. That's really our right. Since we're the American people and the American taxpayers and we're funding this, it's the air over our heads. It's, it's our skies. Uh, we have a right to know what's going on up there. And when you give us a report from the government saying, yes, we can tell you specifically of 143 incidents that we can't explain, um, that, that should be concerning to all of us. No matter how busy we are, and we all have our lives to lead and our jobs, you know, and going to school and, our, and families and, you know, just trying to make ends meet and all of that. But this is, I think, something that should be of natural interest to all of us because what are these things? I mean, we're naturally curious, number one, but, you know, Seriously, what are these things and where are they coming from? If we can rule out any number of these things that you've given us as options, uh, that's a little bit frightening. It's a little bit, it's a little bit frightening and a little bit you know, scary to think about. Like There's stuff up there <laughs> over our heads, and we don't know where it's coming from, and we don't know who's operating these things. We do know they're faster than anything we have, so that's a matter of concern, I think, for all of us. Yeah, that is very, very compelling and very uh, scary to think about. So I'm going to kind of just hop into one of the theories sure. I have real fast. Um, so you know how people call the government Big Brother and, like, uh, Big Brother is always watching, and, and that pertains to, like, your search history and, mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff. So what if these UFOs are extraterrestrial, and since we use the term Big Brother is always watching – what if the government also uses that same exact term for these UFOs and it is these extraterrestrial life watching us and making sure we don't do anything wrong to harm or destroy the earth because maybe the earth is an essential part to whatever they have going on in, in the galaxy or the solar system or something like Elsewhere that in the universe. Yeah. And, and they call it big brother and they are watching because we've seen them in our restricted airspaces just seeing kind of what's going on they're not they're really tampering with anything and they're not really uh posing a threat so that's just my kind of little theory um i mean it makes sense that they're watching over us and they're just kind of making sure that nothing goes wrong because like i said they're they're posing no threat to us and and they haven't used really any deadly force if you want to call it that right um but I think that that maybe that would be a good theory. Um, I would love to hear anyone else's theories or thoughts on on my little theory there. And uh, Mark, if you have anything to say about it, I'd like to hear that. No, that's a great. That is actually a very uh, popular theory that is going around, and it's been going around for a long time, though. Again, going back decades, I can show you a book I have with me here from when I was a child, from 1967, and you know the title, "Why Are They Watching Us?" And you have this guy like kind of running away from a flying saucer, you know, UFO. One thing I would say is that, you know. When we do use the terms UFO or UAP, I would always encourage everyone, don't just jump to the conclusion that it's extraterrestrial or something. It's just unidentified. We don't know. I mean, they may be able to identify it, and maybe we will get some more answers from either these private groups or from future reports from, uh, from the Pentagon and from the, and, excuse me, from the Pentagon and our intelligence agencies. But um, no, that is a theory, and, it, and it's a theory that's been going on for some time now. When I was watching... Uh, one of my favorite physicists besides, uh, well, so there's a couple of them, but uh, Professor Michio Kaku from City University of New York. I've seen him interviewed a number of times since those videos were first being leaked. And then after this UAP report was issued, 
uh, from the National Intelligence Office. So um, I, I watched him and I heard him saying very clearly that up until these videos started coming out and, you know, this report has come out, you know, whenever you would have physicists together talking, if the, the, the term UFO came up or UAP, you know, they would just be rolling their eyes because to them it was just absolute nonsense. It was just misidentifications or hoaxes or people in an alcoholic daze, you know, from having a little bit too much. Literally, that's what he said. But once he started seeing these videos and watching the testimony of our own military pilots, he called that, quote, a game changer. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily extraterrestrial, like he said, but either he believes either, you know, the United States government is really still number one, or United States military and our research and development, we're still number one, and we have developed these hypersonic drones and just haven't, you know, made it public knowledge to the American people, let alone the rest of the world, or they're from somewhere else. Not Where could that be? And, of course, one of the ideas would be, you know, then perhaps from beyond this planet, extraterrestrial of some sort, from where we wouldn't know, but uh, but but from somebody. And that, that does go along with your idea, what you're saying there about us being watched. Just like that book I was referencing from 1967, Why Are They Watching Us? There are any number of people who for decades have been saying that it is possible, can't prove this yet, but it is possible that these anomalous craft, these these things that seem to be able to do things that we certainly can do with our technology here, you know, are observing us. They're not attacking us. They're not doing anything like that. And why would that be? Is it because they have something to do with our own human race being on this planet? Uh, there's, uh, there's certainly been books written about how it, at one point in the history of the um, Homo sapien you know, species here on the planet that someone possibly could have come down here and done some genetic manipulation and then kind of changed the way the human race is, is developing. And now they're coming, you know, they're watching, they're observing, they're seeing what we're doing what have these these beings done now that we've changed certain things and made them a little bit different from what they were evolving into? And, I mean, that's just one theory. I, I, I don't know. I think about it a lot, but I, I can't say that I actually have strong beliefs in, in that particular theory. Or are they people that had nothing to do with the creation of the human race or any kind of manipulation of our genetic material, you know, eons ago here on the planet? Uh, but they are intelligent races that are much older than us. And that's something that I've heard uh, Professor Kaku talk about. I've certainly heard uh, Professor Loeb talk about that, too, that if you have, you know, there are many, many stars in the universe that are substantially older than our star, the sun. So, you know, as the universe, from the point of the Big Bang on, uh, as the universe expanded out, you know, you have uh, galaxies and uh, stars within the galaxy that are far, far older than our own solar system, let alone our own galaxy. And so the possibility of if life and intelligent life did evolve on some planet around some other star that's much older than us, that particular race of extraterrestrials would be far in advance of what we have as far as our technology. And that perhaps that would enable them to come here and out of natural curiosity, if nothing else, you know, be observing what's going on on this planet or, or you know, looking at this species just like our own scientists and our own, you know, uh, medical researchers or animal researchers in the, on the planet here are doing with species on this planet. You know, they study different animal species, different species of insects. There's, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, research that's been going on, uh, you know, certainly over the last 50 or 60 years where we're looking at other species, not necessarily to make friends with them. <laughs> we're studying them. We're trying to learn about them. And they're on this planet. They're sharing it with us. That's a pretty popular theory that these craft could somehow, these unidentified aerial phenomena could somehow be tied in with 
much older extraterrestrial civilizations that are observing us. They are curious and they are watching what's going on. And uh, if they've been watching us since the 1940s, they've seen the development of atomic weapons and all kinds of other things. And would there be a concern about are these people on this planet going to be spreading something that could be dangerous elsewhere within our universe? So that's a theory too. Um, so you're not, I don't think that's, uh, you're not far off at all with your theory. I think it's a very good idea. Um, we'll just have to keep going with all of these private organizations and see what else the government comes up with. Cause right now my, my belief in it all is we just don't know. We just don't know. I mean, other people are saying that perhaps these things are what's called interdimensional and you and I have talked about that and that's a, you know, for laymen like us, that's a tough concept to, you know, get our arms around, but could it be that these are, uh, coming from something beyond the dimensions that we understand as human beings on this earth right now, is this universe more complex than we thought it was? And there are certainly physicists right now that are uh, talking along those terms right here in the United States. I've, I've listened to any number of physicists talking about the, you know, the possibility, the math is leading them to uh, the, the conclusion that there's more than one universe, there's a multiverse, you know, there, there could be uh, Earth one, Earth two, Earth three. You know, in each yeah. in each universe, it could be another. You know, an actual copy of of us. So, that's a possibility too. I mean, interdimensional. Uh, who knows? That's why we need transparency. It would help us to get to the answers. But if we're dealing with something that's a very advanced civilization, like any number of scientists have said, have said, you know, if we encounter the technology of a civilization that's far older than us, that technology is going to come off like something is magic, magical things that we just can't comprehend or understand or you know or like dr Loeb said that we can't reproduce here on this earth right now i i i agree with really everything you said and i'm excited to see what what you guys have to say about it um we would like you guys to reach out to us on our social medias our twitter instagram facebook uh youtube comments works as well um Right now, the best way to support us and to show love to us is to leave a like, subscribe, follow, you know what I mean, all of our social medias. Um, and like I said, whether you liked the, the podcast or you didn't like it, constructive criticism is accepted. And um, I'm pretty much going to leave this as is. I'm going to just add the video clip that um, I said I was going to add. Mm -hmm. And um, I would like to hear back from you guys. Um, I know for a fact I can still improve. Um so I would like to see what what I can improve on and, and what, you know what I mean, you guys think and what theories you have and and what suggestions you guys have for episodes and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear from you guys. And uh, Mark, if you want to add anything to that real quick. No, that was very well said. One thing, uh, we're going to be exploring all kinds of different topics on the podcast in the future. It's, this is not just going to be a... Uh, podcast centered on UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena. There's going to be all sorts of uh, subjects that we're going to be covering, and we'd like to have suggestions from anyone about things that you might want us to look into or see if we've done any research on topics that we could talk about in future podcasts. So that's important. And also, we don't want this particular podcast right now. It's not our intention to be trying to frighten anybody or you know get anyone scared about this whole topic. We wanted to do this podcast because we want to share all the reading that we've done, the research we've done, the discussions that we've had with each other over, you know, like for example, on this topic right now that we're talking about. That's what we do, and we've been doing it for years. I've known Zach since he was born, so we've had some, uh, we've had quite a few interesting discussions over the years. We don't want anyone to be intimidated or anything like that. We're, we're just trying to make everybody aware. When we looked at that Pew survey and it showed how many people weren't even aware that the government was going to be issuing a report on, on unidentified 
aerial phenomena or UFOs. That was concerning to us because we realized like people are just so overloaded right now. And it's such an important topic. And we think it is a matter of, of national security and air safety for the people of the United States as well as the rest of the world. We just thought that this would be the nice topic to start with. And we wanted to launch our new podcast with this particular subject. We do have a mascot behind us, Zach, <laughs> and he doesn't have a name yet. <laughs> that is our mascot. That's something I collected some years ago. <laughs> so with that, um, we want you guys to come up with a name for him, and we kind of want to just kind of include him in, in the episodes, give him a name, uh, kind of start a conversation with you guys, and that's what we want the, the podcast to be in general. We're not trying to push our beliefs on you. We want it to yeah. be a conversation. We want you guys to be able to, uh, like, drop your theories down down below in the comments and stuff like that or post on social media, even message us if you don't feel comfortable publicly speaking about what you believe in. Um, and, and we just want to have a conversation. We want to see uh, where your guys' beliefs lie and, and what you guys think of all the topics that we're going to cover. Um, and like I said, we have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if some of you are interested, we do have a TikTok. It is, it is at Uncle Mark's Attic, but in between each word. So uncles, there would be a, a dot marks.attic and then you can you can find us on tiktok if you're interested we'll probably just end up posting some clips there here and there or whatever but we are interested to hear from you guys and we thank you guys for listening and or for watching like i said the best way to support us right now is to just share this with your friends um follow us on our social medias like subscribe and we will go we'll see you guys in the next episode thank you Yes, we will. Thank you very much for watching this, and we hope to see you again. You're always welcome in Uncle Mark's attic.